Good resurrection morning to all of you. Welcome. It's a blessing to see all of you. More than a blessing. It's an honor. So many I met this morning that are really back for the first time in, in a little over a year. And I couldn't figure out a better Sunday for you to return than this one. So praise God. Welcome back to all of you. And it's... Uh, told you once, I've told you a thousand and one times, there really is no better day of the week and there's no better place to be than with God's people worshiping on this great day. And uh, it's wonderful to see you enticing each other to love and to good deeds. And uh, In Christ, we are a spiritually incredibly wealthy family. Amen. And we praise God for that. We're looking forward to worshiping. All the normal things that I do during family time, I'm not going to do today. We're going to hold those off to next Sunday because we want to have the opportunity to, to sing as much as we can together, to enjoy uh, ministry in that song together. We want to dive into the Word for a time, and we want to make sure we leave plenty of time for the baptism testimonies at the end today, okay? So we're going to move along, but I would hesitate to do that without welcoming our guests. So just very briefly, if you're here this morning and you've never received a gift from us, our ushers are at the back and they would love to give you a gift uh, very quickly. If you just slip up your hand or the person that brought you, if you're too embarrassed to do so, we're not going to have you stand and be introduced. We just want to give you a gift. So just briefly, if you'd lift up your hand, a number of you may have gotten those as you came in. Any guests at all here in the lobby? As you receive those gifts coming in, we want to pray for you. So just please take time in the next hour to fill out the little card that's in that gift bag and give that to an usher or leave that in the chair that's diagonal in front of you. And uh, we will pray for you. And let you know that we're praying for you, okay? It's an honor to see all of you. Anyone here from out of town as a special visitor on a holiday weekend? I want you to stand with your family. Maybe we can run a microphone. Can we get a microphone fired up for that? Anyone at all? I just want to know who the family members are and where you've come from. Just go ahead and stand where you are and we'll run a microphone to you. Go ahead, over here, Tyler, to the right. Many of you won't know these folks. Anyone else, just stand right where you're at and Tyler will make sure he runs the microphone to you. Um, it's Caleb and Sarah Green, and we're from Greenville. Uh, we're um, children of Ron and Jan Hart. Great to have you. I'm the daughter, Amy, from Portland, Oregon. Eugene, Oregon. Is that Amy? It is, hi. Bless your soul. Well, thanks. <laughs> it's good to see you. I think we've seen you last before the others, but great to have you here. And thanks for sharing your glorious explorations of the Northwest on Facebook. It shows some beautiful scenery there. Blessing. I know there's people all over the place. Um, we haven't been able to yet put all the chairs back in here, but we're close. Praise God for everyone being here. And uh, let's have a word of prayer together as we continue. Thank you, Lord. Every Lord's Day is really a celebration of resurrection life, the, the resurrected life of our Savior. Because he lives, we live. 
with renewed spiritual life, with the promise of life eternal. We are not hopelessly looking for hope anymore because Jesus is our hope and he is our personal Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord, for the millennia of rich spiritual blessings that we have in him as by your spirit we are adopted into your family. When we turned our lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ. As he's exalted today, Lord, we pray that thy spirit would work in the hearts of those who, who may not know him yet. They're eyewitnesses of the fellowship of the children of God. They'll be earwitnesses of the preaching of the word of God. And, and then they'll hear also of the miraculous working of the spirit of God in the hearts and lives of those who have been saved who are being baptized this morning. So for everyone, Lord, here this morning that is without the peace of God in Christ in their hearts and your spirits drawing them to search for true hope and joy and happiness, I pray, Lord, that they would see and hear of Jesus today. And today would be the day that they would know resurrection life and the power of Christ's resurrection life who died for our sin, who claimed the victory over the grave, which is the effect of sin, the cause of sin, which is death. We thank you, Lord, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father this morning, continuously interceding for us as our divine advocate. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us celebrate our risen Savior. Stand and sing with us, Christ the Lord is risen today.
may be seated. We are grateful to be able to celebrate hope that we have in Christ, that he is alive. This morning, in our time together, we're going to take really three different opportunities to think about the work of Christ uh, in his death. We're going to look at the resurrection of Christ, his life, but then also the kingship of Christ, the fact that he is king. He sits on his throne. This first portion of our service today, we're going to look at the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. And through this passage, we are invited to go to the cross. So we will do that now. Mark chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 16, and we'll read through verse 39. You can follow along as I read. The soldiers took him away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple. And after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews. They kept beating his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling and bowing before him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him and put his own garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. After they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take, and it was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling out for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, 
Truly this man was the Son of God. Thank you. 
to sing as a congregation. Let's stand and sing, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Chapter 15, Jesus on the cross 
is the reality that Jesus paid it all, what we just sang. However, the empty tomb, Jesus risen, is the reality of the Christian life. And that is Paul's point here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So let's read together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul continues in verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he has raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Continue with me in verse 55. Paul says, Hosea, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Another opportunity to sing that glorious truth that we just read. Let's stand and sing Christ Arose.
You may be seated. I'm going to be reading a very familiar portion of scripture to you if you turn to Philippians chapter 2. Be looking at verses 1 through 11. You know, our goal as Christians is to be Christ-like. And this gives us a picture of what it is to be Christ-like. And when you see the very first part of this, you see the word if, which gives it a, a tendency of, is there doubt there? And let me assure you that there is no doubt. And uh, you'll see in the very first verse, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and we could say there is, and as we go on, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the, <clears throat> by being of the same mind, <clears throat> maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although being he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen.
My heart is really, really, really encouraged today. You have all been a tremendous um, source of the ministry of God's word by his grace to my heart. And uh, I'm still, I will always tell you the, the best seat in the house to be instructed by God's word through song is the front seat of the auditorium. <laughs> so try it out sometime. Uh, I think you'd enjoy it. Luke 24, we have been spending a lot of time in the public reading of scripture today. And we're going to do so again in this familiar text to many of us. Luke's the only gospel writer that focuses upon this narrative. And I trust it's an encouragement to your heart this morning to review it. For some of you, maybe uh, hear it for the first time. But we'll begin in verse number 13. For a little context, brief context, this actually takes place the morning, some would say mid-morning to late morning, all the way to evening. This is a conversation that takes place over seven miles of walking on Resurrection Sunday. Verse 13, and behold, two of them were going that very day to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking to each other about all those things which had taken place while they were talking and discussing. Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. That's something that the Lord did. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another? And as you were walking, and they stood still looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Now you folks know, that if you know your Bibles, this is a time of Passover, where thousands of folks would converge upon the city. And he said to them, what things? And just in case you didn't think God had a sense of humor. <laughs> and they said to him, these things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people. Now the chief priests and our rulers delivered to him the sentence of death and crucified him. These folks, as we read through the passage, are really um, telling us that they're of Jewish descent. And you'll find out later in the passage that they were actually folks that spent time with Christ's inner circle of disciples. And these were probably believing people. These are probably born-again people. But he says here, but we, but they say, he said here, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. And they said they were in the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us 
went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ who suffered these things to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. That's one sermon I hope when I get to glory, I get a chance to have Jesus recite. And they approached the village where they were going and he acted as though he were going farther. That's Jesus. And it was really a Jewish custom not to, to travel by foot after dark. And so they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it is getting towards evening. Apparently, Jesus wanted to be a little bit more long-winded about what he was saying, and they wanted to stop. Stay with us, for it is getting towards evening, and the day is now nearly over. Most people think this is about six o'clock in the evening. So he went in to stay with them, and when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened. God allowed him to see and know it was Jesus. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road and he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven. And those who were with them saying, this is 11, uh, obviously many of you that know the Bible know why, saying that the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Peter, to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. And while they were eating and telling, while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything to eat? So if his flesh and blood and bones was not enough, he was going to prove to them that he could eat, chew, swallow, and it would not fall through him. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and arise again on the day, from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father unto you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed 
with power from on high, speaking of what was to come in Acts chapter 2. Let's go back to the conversation with these two men on this seven-mile trip to Emmaus. The context of the narrative that we read includes three simple questions that Jesus asks. There's much to be learned from the whole passage, but I'd like to this morning to focus on why the Lord Jesus Christ asked these three questions to two incredibly discouraged disciples. There's a famous poem called If I Were Kings, a children's poem that many of you are familiar with, written by A.A. Milne. And it reads, I often wish I were a king and I could do anything. If only I were king of Spain, I could take my hat off in the rain. If only I were king of France, I would brush my hair for ants. I think if I were king of Greece, I'd push all things off the mantelpiece. If I were king of Norway, I'd ask an elephant to stay. If I were king of Babylon, I'd leave my button gloves undone. And if I were king of Timbuktu, I'd think of lovely things to do. If I were king of anything, I'd tell the soldiers I am king. Childhood is full of innocent and ambition, isn't it? And the wonder of a child is a gift from God. All of us know as we journey through life that we face more difficult temptations than taking off our hat in the rain or asking an elephant to stay. The world full of grown-ups is tremendously ambitious still, but they face greater temptations and hardships, and we all do. When we fall in our ambitious pursuits or when we fail in the same we feel that life has failed us, even as Christians, and we often respond with discouragement. And those fits of despondency can completely govern our lives. You know, we live in a world that is hopelessly looking for hope. Where does the search end for anyone, and can the craving and the starvation for this hope ever fully be satisfied? Well, for the believer, God says, yes, it can. We often sing the hymn that reads, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so we know as adopted children of God in Christ that regardless of the struggles that we face and that we have faced, we need to understand that the relentless search for hope ends through one's personal relationship with our resurrected Jesus. Jesus knew that. These men were about to learn that. For the souls who know the power of our resurrected Jesus, one author wrote, the crisis before you will never be greater than the Christ within you. R.C. Sproul said, when we say we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, we're not proclaiming the eternal significance of an idea, nor are we saying that Jesus lives on in somebody's memory 
or that his reappearances were simply visionary experiences. The confession of the church of Christ for 2,000 years has been and must continue to be an unequivocal conviction of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And anything less is at complete variance with the testimony of the New Testament scriptures. The very reality of the resurrection can and will as often as our hearts are discouraged, grace us with joy unspeakable and full of glory. There are 10 Bible passages that tell us of the bodily appearances of a resurrected Christ. Over 40 days, he appeared to over 500 people. The passage before us this morning is just one of them. And it's layered with so much encouragement of the resurrected Christ to his hurting people. Again, this favorite among us of post-resurrection stories was sprinkled with three simple questions Jesus asks these two men who are deeply troubled in their hearts. And while the questions may seem normal or even somewhat rhetorical in nature, our resurrected Jesus asks them with particular purpose to encourage these discouraged followers. You probably noticed the first one early in the narrative in verse 17. Jesus said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? There's proof within the passage that these men were true followers of Jesus as we've already said they were with the disciples of Jesus and other believers in the morning of the resurrection. They had heard of the ladies' stories of the eyewitness of a resurrected Christ and Peter's sighting of Jesus, as the narrative told us, yet they were still confused and discouraged. We know later in the passage, after spending some time with Jesus and realizing it was truly him in physical form, they returned to the group of disciples where they had begun the day only this time rejoicing and not doubting. You see, even devout followers of Jesus, those who have listened to him for years, can be overwhelmed by the circumstances of life and death. And what's the heart of our Savior for these two men? The heart of our Savior is to initiate love and encouragement through his own resurrected life to initiate love and encouragement through his own resurrected life. And that's what he's doing by use of just this first question. We know that the Bible teaches that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. We know that the Holy Spirit is within us when we are discouraged and he prays for us when we can't. We know the Bible said that the Lord's ears are open to the prayers of the righteous ones. There's so much we know that these men didn't know, and yet our hearts at times struggle with doubt and deep discouragement. You see, these two men knew much about Jesus. They were eyewitnesses of his life. They had heard him teach. They had watched him perform miracles. They were familiar with Mosaic history. And yet their hearts were still deeply downtrodden. 
So here they are, knowing so much and still being incredibly human. And on resurrection morning, Jesus finds his way to his inner circle of friends and family. Well, he finds his way to these two well-informed yet discouraged followers and asks a question, what are these things you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? It's a beautiful thing that Luke, known as a historian in his gospel presenting Christ as the son of man, records that God doesn't initially let him know that it's Jesus, but yet it's Christ who is God in the flesh initiating love to them in his resurrected life for the purpose of beginning a conversation with them that would allow them to divulge all that's in their heart. Even though Christ omnisciently knew it all. And there they stood speaking about whatsoever things were true, particularly about the last 72 hours. So there they stopped in the middle of the road looking sad, the text tells us, as the followers of Jesus. And they ask, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem that are unaware of these things which have happened in these days? And so Jesus asks a second question. What things? He's not done in his resurrected life pursuing the encouragement of these discouraged followers. And aren't you thankful for the relentless pursuit of Christ in your own life? He knows when you're done being discouraged and he knows when you're not. He pursues ministry, personal ministry, on the late morning of the resurrection to these two who are not part of his inner circle. Isn't that the heart of our Savior? Walking in the highways and byways of life, seeking those who are lost, and at the same time, deeply grieved with those who should know better when they're grieved. What patience, what love. So he asked, what, the, what things? Now, seriously, folks, when I first read this years ago, but have to admit, I had a little problem with that second question. It seemed to be more of a tease than it was a compassionate, intentional demonstration of love with a sense of humor. I look at it differently now. Being older in the Lord, I've seen the Lord pursue me as one of his followers time and time again in what seems to be endless times of despondency and discouragement. And as my advocate pursuing me until I realize joy. Until I realize joy. So this, this question doesn't bother me anymore. And Jesus allows these hurting followers to rehearse the events of the Passion Week as if Jesus was truly a visitor that had just arrived in the city and is hearing for the first time. So they deal they detail, really, all that they've dealt with in verses 19 to 24 that we've already read. And Jesus let them mourn through the rehearsing of the details. 
And that's exactly what they did. I don't believe they'd started walking yet. I believe they stopped in the middle of the road, looking sad. Jesus asked the first question, he asks the second, and they explain to him, and it seems to me that the conversation begins to physically and spiritually move forward when Jesus begins to speak his message of himself from the law and prophets and the Psalms. And my friends, that's what he allows us to do when we're struggling. Rehearse the details, work it out, ask the questions, express the frustrations. Why? Because Jesus knows this is what faith does. We work out our faith with fear and with trembling. The grace of God compels us to wrestle our way back to who Jesus is and what he's done for us so that we will always know that the struggle before us will never be greater than the Christ within us. Jesus is human. Here is a proof that he is. Not only that he's standing and walking with these men in a fully resurrected body, He's allowing these men to have a relationship with him even in their time of struggle and Jesus is completely okay with it. What a tremendous reminder to us again that we can do the same. And all the while, Jesus is directing the conversation towards the most essential question, the third and final question of these men because it addresses really the deepest need in their human soul. Verse 26, he asks his third question, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? You know, it's towards the end of the Lenten season in a particular religion. So many have simply sacrificed and given up to God favorite things in order to demonstrate or to prove to God their faith and, and loyalty for various spiritual reasons. And I suppose... I can understand their actions, but in the passage before us, in this third question, Jesus isn't asking us to give up chocolate or meat or pleasures of life. He's asking the question, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then to enter his glory? The men on the road to Emmaus were obviously of Jewish tradition and possible heritage. They admitted openly that we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And yes, I suppose people today can be much like these men 2,000 years ago. They know of Jesus. They have their usage or purpose for him. But Jesus' question still remains for you as it was for them. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? You see, mere religious men fall short of understanding that the singular, sufficient, and most significant act of Christ's existence as necessary for their personal soul was the act of the gospel, the whole of the gospel, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And this question includes his ascension, his return to the glory that he enjoyed with his father as he prayed about in John 17, before the foundation of the world. These realities of his life were real 
and stand before them and before you to demonstrate your greatest need was not to sacrifice for him, but to accept his sacrifice for you, to give him our hearts and not just our chocolate and our beef. All of us, to all of him, who desires to be your peace, your forgiveness, your spiritual rest, your refuge in times of trouble, your heavenly advocate before a holy God. It was necessary, my friends, for him to suffer these things, and there is no entering into his glory without being glorified in bodily form. It's a result of the resurrection. Was it not necessary? Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter his glory? Right before he asked that third question, you remember that phrase that Jesus mentioned? O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Now, this is not a heavy rebuke. This is a gentle reminder. Right? There's no heavy rebuke in this whole section. We all know when we get clouded in times of discouragement and depression, we have to communicate, we have to get it off our chest, we have to get our heart and mind with the Lord, maybe with another believer, and that's okay. But sometimes it takes this question to settle our minds and get them focused back on the sufficiency of Scripture. Obviously, Jesus is the living word of God before them. But he's saying, look, there are written scriptures that are preserved for your learning. Ultimately, I'll let you grieve. I'll let you share your heart. I'll let you burn. I'm your advocate. Share, share, share. But ultimately, there comes a time for the end of human discouragement and the beginning of spiritual confidence. And Jesus is saying, It's in the word, and it's the message of me. Allow me to be your joy. Allow me to be your peace. Allow me to be your your encouragement as is recorded and preserved in the word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ has already announced his departure. Later on in the chapter, this last chapter of Luke, there's going to be an ascension. He's going to depart from them. And he said, I'm going to send another one just like me. John 14 to 16 discussions. He's going to be your comforter. Jesus is forever our divine advocate. And when Jesus is gone and the Holy Spirit indwells, God still has given to us his preserved, his inspired and preserved word for our learning. And ultimate discouragement is removed from our lives in Christ by the word of God. So simple ones. Those who have become naive like me when I'm discouraged and when I'm hurting. Just remember the word. Be in the word and understand that why you're able to understand the word is because of Jesus' question. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? Because you've accepted the sufficiency of the suffering of Christ on behalf of your own soul. And you've forever been forgiven. 
You have soul rest that man without Christ has not experienced yet. So because of the sacrifice and because of the resurrection, my resurrection, it was necessary for you. And you found that to be true now. He wasn't done yet. That's when he began his sermon. He got their attention and then he began his sermon showing for us in verse 27 that there is sufficiency in the scriptures. That third question leads us to the reminder, the necessary reminder that there really is no one or no thing on this earth that can bring you down and relentlessly hold you down when you have Christ and when you have his word. No thing or no one when you have Christ and when you have his word. But we're all a work in progress, aren't we? It's true. I'm the biggest work in progress in this room. But not because of my size, but I know my spiritual condition. I know my humanity. A favorite author of mine I was reading not long ago, I wrote this quote down. It's a great encouragement to me because I know my own humanity. God doesn't call the qualified, but qualifies the called. You see, friends, when your eyes are open to see who the Lord Jesus Christ is, we live because he lives. And then we live by the truth that he is, that he spoke, that's been revealed and preserved for us. And so our encouragement is found in the resurrected life and the living word of that resurrected person, the divine one, Jesus, our Savior. So three simple questions. What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? Is Jesus relentlessly pursuing your discouraged heart this morning? It's been a long year. It's okay that you're discouraged. Jesus does not want you to live this alone. He's interested in having a conversation and continuing that conversation in the second question when he asks what things, when he's already fully aware, it's okay to tell omniscience. It's okay to speak to the all-knowing one. What's on your heart? He longs for that. He's searching for that here. And it's okay for him to, to move us forward, ultimately to only him being the answer and his word being sufficient answer to our discouragement. Because the end of discouragement is when we come to stop really looking around to find it in someone, even one another. And we exclusively look up to find it from him as our resurrected Lord.
Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the compassion of the, and the patience of these three questions. We live in a world, Lord, that for the last 12 months has been doing a lot of fact-checking, a lot of verifying, and this relentless pursuit for truth and understanding, and yet the world never seems to be satisfied with their fact-checking and their proofing. And we have before us, preserved for us in the Word of God, the answer to the world that's hopelessly looking for hope. We find it in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is divine living proof. of The power of God. And the person of Christ who through his resurrection declared power over sin and the effects of sin on us personally, collectively, and our universe. And we thank you, Lord, that since he has risen, And seated at the right hand of the Father, that we can no longer set our affections on our own despondency and our own discouragement, but we can, as Paul says in Colossians 3, set our affections on things above where Christ sits alive in bodily form at the right hand of the Father. And may we find our encouragement and our peace in Him and in His inspired, preserved word for us. We thank you, Lord, for your patience with us, with me. So thankful for loving us first so that we could love you. We're thankful for the word, this narrative. Thankful that at least there was one gospel writer it was preserved for our learning in our greatest time of discouragement we can find the greatest source of encouragement in our living Savior as the living Word of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together. Ladies that are being baptized, you're welcome when we begin to sing to enter the room over here. Continue to progress with our service. One more hymn here before these baptisms. Stand, if you would, let's sing, I Run to Christ.
may be seated. also said many times that there's no better time to celebrate the resurrection than on the Lord's Day, and there's no better way to do it than by having a baptism, which is a picture of resurrected life. This is Andrea Cowie. I'd like her to share her testimony at this time. Hi, everyone. My name is Andrea Cowie. Um, I'm the mom of Maddie and Jacob, who everybody knows. And my husband's rich. Um, I was born and raised Catholic, a very strict Catholic family. Did 12 years of Catholic school, even some Catholic college. Um, and through most of my growing up years, I was told to just believe. So that is what I did. And every time I was told that, it just added more questions to the stack of why. As I became an adult and got married, started a family, my questions and agreements with the Catholic Church grew even more. My life began changing toward anger, easily irritable, anxiety, panic attacks, control freak, and always feeling like I would be missing out if I turned my life completely to the Lord. There was a lot of tension in my marriage and family. Distance grew between us, between my children and my husband, and I truly began to grow inward instead of outward. So I began church shopping, but due to the old Catholic guilt trip, I always returned back to Catholic. I was feeling broken, angry, irritable, and just not feeling that wow. I prayed, I read the Bible, I attended weekly mass, I took the sacraments, I listened to Christian music, attended prayer meetings, retreats, etc. But still, that huge void was in my heart. Well, COVID hit, and my brother uh, lives in North Carolina, and he suggested I start listening to his sermon or his service online. After a few listenings, I said, where can I find a church like yours in Lake County? He said, Grace Church of Menor. And I said, are you kidding me? He said, I said, how do you know that church? He said, Pastor Potter's brother used to go to church before he moved to the coast, and they are, true, they are a true Bible church that loves Jesus. He said, that is the closest you will get to the straight Bible teaching in the area. Well, slow me, it took a few months for that to settle in. And for many reasons, I kept saying no. Finally, my husband said, we're going to try Grace Church this week. And that was sometime in August. So we attended the service, and it set a spark off in my family. Soon after, I was hooked up with Katie Knutson for discipleship, and she invited me to attend Wednesday night Bible study. I attended that and connected up with Sharon. As I began talking with Sharon, she invited me over to her house to chat. I went to her house on October 19, 2020, very nervous and not knowing what to expect. She began with basic questions, supported them by scripture, 
and I began to feel a weight lifted off my chest. My arms began to shiver, and I stared up the ceiling in her back room, which I call the upper room, and accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I was reborn that day, for I now know that for by God's grace I have been saved, that there is nothing that I could ever do or be that could ever earn me that salvation. All I need to do is be still and rest in the Lord. The Holy Spirit worked through Sharon to me and filled that void in my heart. I felt the wow. For that moment, I turned my life to Jesus, and I want to grow in him and glorify him daily. My life today is much different. I have really been working on giving all over to Christ and let him work the situation to his will. Stepping back and letting Christ guide me instead of me doing then going to Christ. I have a strong desire to read and learn the Bible. I have many questions and comparisons back to the Catholic because I'm human, but I'm really trying to keep that door closed and walk in my new life. I feel a purpose and a fulfillment when I read, pray, pray, read the Bible, listen to Christian music, etc. And you know what? I'm missing nothing. As a matter of fact, I have a whole new outlook on life. All things fleshly are temporary, but my life with Christ is eternal. Sandra Cowie, upon your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be baptized and obey the Lord, I'm proud to baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know this whole story that she told you until she started coming in August, because we had met the Cowies at Menor High School basketball games back in 20, 2010, <laughs> and, and we had got to know them, developed a relationship with them, they could even invited them to church, not knowing all their background, and she came here Easter, or, or in August, and 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 I said, it's great to see you. What are you doing here? <laughs> and she goes, well, your brother went to church with my brother in North Carolina. And then you heard the rest of the story. And then she gets saved. This is their daughter, Maddie. And I'll let her give her testimony at this time. Hi, everyone. For those of you of that may or may not know me, my name is Maddie Cowie. Today I have the absolute privilege to brag about the God that took me, a broken, shattered person, and made me whole. To give you a small insight into my story, I grew up with an on-again, off-again relationship with church. My family would start at a new church, go for a couple weeks, and then fall off. This cycle continued for a long time, each ending back at Catholic Church. No matter where we were at, I found myself eager to participate in whatever activities were in front of me. I now know today that the Lord was working on my heart, pulling me closer and closer to Him. Fast forward to my high school years, I didn't know it then, but I was in for a rude awakening. The anxiety that was always present only got worse and eventually spiraled into mental breakdown after mental breakdown. My mental health was the worst it had ever been. Knowing that I needed help, I started going to therapy and taking steps to fix myself. 
A couple of months later, by God's grace and guidance, I found myself going to Friends Church in Willoughby Hills. There I would go to my first ever overnight church camp where a new reformed life would then begin. On July 23, 2020, I gave my life to Christ. For the first time in my whole life, I felt unburdened, completely free. I would like to share with you what I wrote on that day in my journal. I am saved. No fear, doubt, anxiety could ever take that away from me. My salvation is true and firm. I cannot be shaken now that I, now that I have Jesus with me and in me. God moves and works and changes people. The movement that I have just experienced is something that can't be matched or replicated. In the chapel, my heart was absolutely changed. God is so good and true and faithful. I am now alive. I have purpose. I have breath in my lungs because of Jesus Christ. I am now a new creation through Jesus Christ and the ultimate sacrifice that he made for me, even though I am not worthy of it. God is so good. From that day on, my life has been changed in ways I could never have imagined. Today, when I look back at the work that Jesus Christ has done in my life in the short amount of time that I have been made new, I can see that the anxiety that held me captive for so long was broken, anxiety that no therapy session or medication could fix, but only what Jesus could. I see that I now want to know more about Jesus and read his word, that my family would come to find a church home, and that my long-held perspectives were utterly transformed. On March 16, 2019, I wrote in my journal, I'm forcing myself and my fam <laughs> to go to church. I'm hoping to gain something that I didn't think I would slash could. What I didn't know then was truly the abounding love, mercy, grace, and joy that I would find in the one true King, Jesus Christ. I'm so excited and honored to continue to learn, grow, and pursue Christ-likeness, living in the freedom that was bought with the blood of my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for I am yours now and forever. Howie, upon your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and desire to obey him in baptism, I'm proud to baptize you in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. seven years my family's been going to Grace. I went with them because I had to. I did not make any friends in youth group because I didn't care to form friendships and I distanced myself. This summer of 2020 I was going through a breakup after a relationship of a year and a half. It got abusive and I also often found myself making excuses for his actions or telling myself this was normal and I deserved it. When we broke up I was left broken and I didn't know how to fix myself. I spent every day in my room studying for a cosmetology test, a career that was not even right for me. One day I just prayed. I prayed that God would show me someone cared about me and wanted me to be happy. I prayed to feel complete, and a day after that, Kate, Charlotte, and Abby all came over with a poster they made to congratulate me for graduating. I completely stopped going to Grace at this point, and they still cared enough about me. I texted Kate that night and asked her to send me verses to look at because I wanted to be as happy as she was. She told me she wanted to talk, and I told her how hurt I was. I knew I needed Jesus. So that night on Zoom, I cried with her and I let Jesus into my heart as soon as I hung up. I asked for forgiveness and accepted him as my Lord and Savior. She got me a study book and I completed a chapter every day. She introduced me to Anna, 
Anna, who was able to teach me so much. I was so excited to learn about Jesus. He loved me before I was able to love him. I was happy and found a purpose. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate toward one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. I forgave my ex after a lot of praying and healing. Then I forgave myself too because I knew that Jesus forgave me. There's so much freedom and forgiveness and when I couldn't do it, God could. I'm free from the anger and pain I was burdening myself with. I reconsidered my career path and I'm now pursuing childcare, which all the years my mom had me volunteer at Grace Bible Day Camp prepared me for. I went from someone who could not even talk to my classmates to someone who could confidently approach homeless people in the street with food and water. God transformed my heart and I know he will use me for his kingdom. I pursue him daily and I can truly say I'm living my life for him. I'm getting baptized because I see a change in myself. I care about people and I'm able to pray for my friends and my enemies. I now have a purpose and I can absolutely say I'm the happiest I've ever been and I owe it all to Jesus. Sometimes God breaks your heart to save your soul. God. So many, so many uh, amazing stories. Find each one of those lives. But just please remember the Lord has people that He's calling to Himself that haven't received Him yet right around you in our community. Make sure that you're around people. And when you are, and you're praying, just know. It may be days, weeks, months, years, maybe even a decade or so. But the Lord's answering your prayer. Because he's, he's called you to be gospel light. And what God's called you to, he's given you grace enough to realize. As fishers of men... I pray that we'll hear these testimonies on the first Sunday of every month and every Resurrection Sunday uh, until Jesus comes. So praise God. Let's all stand together as we close in a word of prayer. And, uh, may be dismissed as soon as the instrumentalists begin to play. Enjoy your day with your families. and It's so good to see all of you. Hearts are thrilled for those who were able to come back to church again, as I said earlier, after a year, and uh, made our hearts glad seeing you. Just keep on keeping on, by God's grace, with joy. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you so much for the reminder of miraculous grace and what we've all heard and seen this morning. All of this is realized because Christ is risen. We thank you, Lord, humbly, 
with much love in our hearts for you, for extending your mercy and your grace to us as individuals, and collectively to our church family. Unmerited favor from heaven is ours because you gifted us with it in Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We long to see you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a blessed Easter Sunday.